So like eight or nine years ago. This is Auto Collabs. I got a text on my way home from work, and this is back when I was just in the reconditioning business. And my wife was like, and, and there's probably some people who can relate to this. My wife texted me and said, hey, I saw this item on Craigslist. Can you go pick it up? Sure. <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay. Fine. Get Sounds cash. good. Got I didn't it. know what it was. I just was like kind of looking at it over the way. I go downtown Syracuse and I have to like walk up to the second, second floor of this like apartment spot that's over top of like a nice coffee shop and knock on the door. I have no idea. You know, it's just like, it's always weird when you visit somebody. I think it's weirder when you visit somebody in an apartment because you're already in like this hall and it's like kind of quiet and like, there's just nowhere to go. Right. Some dude opens the door. He's got a bunch. There's like all these shoes outside. He's got a bunch of like, you know, young 20 somethings or early 30 somethings in there. And everybody's kind of buzzing and just kind of it's after work. And he was like, oh, yeah, here are the coffee tables in here. I was like, oh, OK, look at the coffee table. I'm like, I guess that's what we bought. I gave him the money for it. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, it's pretty heavy. You need a hand. I was like, no, I was like, you want to stay and have a beer? I was like, no, that's really nice. But I got I got to go home. My wife needs this coffee table today. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Turns out years later, I'm at a digital dealer and there's a company called Spincar, like, and I see the guy again. Wait a second. And I was like. <laughs> I bought a coffee table from you. It turns out it's today's podcast guest. That's nuts. Also, so quintessential because, like, Art is the essence of hospitality. I think nine times out of ten, if I'm talking to Art, he's inviting me somewhere, inviting someone else somewhere, or asking if I want to come in and have a beer. Like, it's just <laughs> his nature to kind of, like, be a people connector gather people together and uh that's what i love about it. he's just got this big old smile and he's just gonna bring you into the fold you know i, I um, was i haven't yet to be invited for, well, well then maybe you have you're about him to meet person. him and you're probably going to get invited michael Cerrito. okay hope you enjoy this episode with arthur <laughs> all right we are hanging out with art today uh not not i don't think you are you an actual artist like that would be really really fun if you actually were like you could I can sketch cook. i can cook you can, but i can't, mm, I can't form of art. wait a second i was thinking maybe okay. recording artists i could see you dropping some great michael Bublé when you tracks. say when you say cook are you like uh throw it on the grill guy or oh, you're no, like i'm gonna do up. the spices and chef the... it up he says yeah when we have our executive team in town i they come to my house and i and i cook oh yeah oh oh Oh. You can make a lot more drinks when you cook yourself than at a restaurant where you have to wait for the wait stand. <laughs> yeah, right. he's, he's like, wait, 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 wait. Were we talking about like food or drinks? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> make some I'm a drink sure. chef. Yeah, I'm a drink chef. That's awesome. So Art, uh, you know, <laughs> the 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 people in the industry probably know you uh, from being around conferences and and uh, seeing the Impel, formerly Spin Car uh, kind of stuff, but maybe not know how how did how in the world did you get into software as a service in the automotive industry where did that come from yeah somewhat kind of by happenstance so uh devin and mike who founded, you don't say <laughs> I won't do it. De devin and mike who founded the company and i all went to high school together in syracuse um okay and they started a company that was at first that like the, the the germ of it was like um augmented reality so you guys remember when you used to put your camera over like um 
uh, not even a QR code, but an image. And then this virtual reality thing would kind of pop out. And that was it. It wasn't really like a marketable thing, but it was something. Not hmm. like then it pivoted into like a, a 360. Uh, Wait, was the purpose of that for auto? Was no, there like nothing a- with auto, nothing with auto, right? Like it was like they were trying. This is cool technology. Back then it was like revolutionary, right? Oh, you put your phone, this like thing. We could probably do something with it. I wasn't part of it back then. Then it moved into, it pivoted into like 360, but not for auto. It was like for merchant. It was like for, uh, for like eBay uh, and stuff, right? Watches, Product purses, shots. Yeah. You know, like a $5,000 purse, you'd want a 360 like view of it. Um, so it pivoted into that and th- that's kind of difficult to scale, right? Like it's kind of difficult to scale both in terms of product. It's not recurring. It's one time thing. You're dealing with these big organizations like Bergdorf's and stuff like that. Very like hierarchical and very political. Um, yeah. And then we had a, they had a friend who worked for nothing Reynolds like auto and the, <laughs> yeah, very unlike auto. And <laughs> this friend that we had from that worked at Reynolds was like, guys, like people are buying like $50,000 vehicles. Like, you should have 360s of cars. So a quick MVP was built that was very rudimentary and it was presented to uh, a Honda dealership in Jersey and they signed up for, by the way, which is more than the, uh, per month than what we're currently charging for the product, which is actually kind of funny, but they signed up for it. And that was kind of like, oh, okay, we kind of have product market fit. Oh, it's recurring revenue. That's kind of nice. You don't have to keep reselling it. And so that kind of took off the story of us pivoting the auto, rebranding a spin car. And then obviously a couple of years ago, rebranding is Impel. But that's like the super short. It's not as organized as that. It, it was very much <laughs> left, right. It's it's. How, how closely do you keep an eye on those other verticals to this day? Um, not a lot. I mean, we do a lot of like work in different like mobility spaces. Like we do a lot of work in RV, planes, boats, international markets. We do some stuff in different industries. But um, in terms of the progress that like some some of these e-commerce sites are doing around like virtual stuff, yes, you know, like computer vision stuff. But aside from that, we don't keep like a, you know, we're not on top of it. How does, okay, so because let's, because you do have other verticals in mobility that like present particular challenges. Seeing 360 around an RV is a lot different than three, seeing 360 around a vehicle. What, like, what are the things that, that you're able to draft from the way that those industries or the things that, not even just like in merchandising, but the things you le- learn ancillary to, like your core tech, what are the things that you're drawing in or, or seeing and going, Hey, this is something we might need to be paying attention to in the, in the retail auto space. Yeah. I mean, for RVs, for instance, like the RV is not necessarily the exterior, it's the interior. There's so many rooms like you guys know Matterport, right? You go in the house and it yeah. kind of walks you through our building. It's kind of yep. a similar thing that we can do through our technology or we can walk the person through RV. And that has like, some direct correlation like SUVs, for instance, third row seats, folding, not folding. But I think it's also a lot of the computer vision stuff around like the exterior. Cause if you, you go to the RV park and when you shoot the RV, it's generally not as clean um, as like a dealership. There's, there's stuff everywhere, right? And there's this huge law. Yeah. So we, we did a lot of work through like exterior computer vision. Like we just recently rolled out this like computer vision virtual booth, which is actually pretty, 
pretty sophisticated. And that kind of the Genesis was in RV because uh, you're not going to put an RV in a on a turntable or in a boot. <laughs> so there's, a, there's small stuff, right? But a lot of it's not driven like through the the, the core tech. It's driven more through like uh, some of the stuff that we're doing around uh, computer vision. So we've applied some of those learnings, um, especially like uh, motorsports and, and power sports. So Harley, things like that, that have helped us kind of enhance the product for for dealerships. You, I always see you at events. It's funny. You and I both live in Syracuse and we only see each other. Never in running like each other. Las Vegas, Tampa. Like we've never, I don't, when aside you're from that one on time, Craigslist. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the only time the we one ever, table exchange was the, yeah, only. I bought my wife bought a table off Craigslist like eight, nine years ago and we didn't know each other. I wasn't even in like marketing or tech or any of that. And, uh, and I just knocked on the door and you answered. I didn't know who you were. You're were really cool. You're like tables in here. You had friends over. You're like, Hey, you want to come in and have a beer with us? I was like, I can't, I got to get this table home, but you've been really nice. <laughs> and then years later, I'm like, Oh, we kind of know each other. Yeah, but that's funny. So I always see you at events and you're always talking with dealers. You're always traveling around talking to dealers. You're developing these tech products that has evolved over time, um, you know, from this practical application to marketing applications. What is your, like, what are you seeing and hearing as when it comes to the dealer mindset approaching merchandising in general? What are the conversations that are happening? You got kind of two sets, like for groups, think about like name any group in the US, they're all trying to provide, they're all trying to get consistent with how they merchandise their car. And that's really hard to do because oftentimes they're very kind of like balkanized or decentralized, right? They have this libertarian mindset, which is like you let the, you let the dealer make their own choices. They run their own PL, they make their decisions, but that results in a very inconsistent way of shooting like a car, right? If you're talking about merchandising and like, they're, they're placed differently. The backgrounds are different. And a lot of these groups are pushing the inventory to a group site. And so when you're all pushing to yeah, a it looks group like site, a mess. then you right. really notice like how inconsistent the, how the right. vehicles are shot or how they're not shot. So I think one big push that we've seen, I mean, from big, you know, publicly traded groups, the, the smaller groups is like this push to, it's not really about the 360. That's all great. Right. Trying to like replicate the same experience they have in store online and why not give them a 360 when in just pictures i think the big push is like trying to create a process that makes it really easy for any dealerships to shoot the car quickly and then moreover for the for the customer to be able to present their vehicles in a consistent way no matter if they have a store in alaska or if they have a store in florida so we've seen that be a big push, that consistency in photography and consistency in how it's, uh, you know, the user experience on the VDP. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so you see this push for consistency. What are, what's the, I don't know, like what's the stuff that every other dealer needs to think like, I'm not, I'm not alone in this struggle. You know what I mean? Is yeah. it just the consistency in photos? Are there other things or is it like we kind of have this mostly figured out? We just need some consistent implementation. It's too, there's not like a, like, a, you know, there's not like a silver bullet because some have like lot service providers and some do it in-house, you know, some have a turntable, some don't. Um, I do think kind of like the, the mindset should be, and I think is the same as we continue to have these talks with, with groups, which is like, Yes, we're trying to get consistency, but also like we're trying to get our cars up on our like simple things like we're trying to get our cars on our up on our website much faster. And you guys all know the delay in that, right? Like 
Kyle, you may have a DSLR camera and you go and you shoot a bunch of photos and yeah, they're high res, but they get compressed anyway when they go through the supply chain. But you're taking a bunch of pictures and you grab your SD card, you plug in your computer, you reorder the images, you send it to the feed provider, then the feed sends it to the, the, to the web and then it's up on your website and it takes like 24 hours. Right? So like if you think about something as simple as, Paul, you sell 100 cars a month and you shoot your cars and you may have a consistent process, but it's just photos. But every single car takes a day to get up on your website. Imagine the power of not only just having photos, but a 360, but getting that car up on your website in 15 minutes instead of a day. If you're selling 100 cars, theoretically, you're gaining 100 days of exposure just by, you know, not having to go through all this like latent, like feed to web, web to, to, to being displayed to the user. That's an interesting way to think about days of exposure. Yeah, so there's a lot, there's, there's a lot of like small operational efficiencies that in an, in like isolated like in a vacuum seem unimportant, but collectively have a huge impact on on the store's operations. You think of the collateral impact of that alone. It, you know, we're talking about speed to market. The slower it takes them to merge the vehicle and get it online means they're going to be even slower syndicating that vehicle out across the web limiting their ability to market it. And by the time that life cycle happens, the vehicle's already 30 days old. Yeah, I mean, every day counts. Well, that happens all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the other thing that I think is really cool about, because you've had to build a sales team from zero to however many salespeople you guys have running around the country right now, which is like, a lot of times I think in, in auto, uh, people are like, ah, oh, sales in SaaS is different than sales in, you know, in a dealership and, and all that type of stuff. But building a sales organization is, is a unique thing. It, it, it requires like not just people management, but process management. And also, you know, like understanding of product knowledge and all that. What have been like some of the key moments along the way of you building from maybe just you, you and the guys, and now it's like an entire team. Um, what have been some of the key moments that you've seen that have really helped you build the right way to scale the sales side of the organization? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, sales is definitely hard, right? Like people always <laughs> underestimate, like they have a great product and they can't get it to market. It's because sales is really, really difficult. Now, I think process is still really, really hard for us. Like simple stuff like so we present ai to a lot of like dealership groups and it's all about process and improving the process and putting ai in like their workflows to improve you know their day-to-day -day responsibilities and make it more efficient and some of the things that we say is like look they're not great at using the crm as it is right like most salespeople at a dealership may not be great at using this it's the same with us like and I think like, even though we have, and so we don't true. have that many sales reps. Universal. Gosh. Uh, yeah, it's universal. Now we're, that's a huge focus. Like you're taking one of the, some key moments. Like I think now, well, as of like probably 16 months ago, we've, we've had a big push in doing the fundamentals really, really right. Because that prevents you from scaling to the next level. But like even Salesforce Entry is like a painful process to get, to get people to to adopt. I think like going from, you know, five sales reps where you have like a, a individual relationship and you, you're on a first name basis, you get invited to their weddings. It's super easy. They can come to, their, to your house to having, again, we don't have that many sales reps. I think we're, we're, we're relatively disciplined about hiring. We have, I think, 20 sales reps, maybe. Um, and none of them are like full cycle sales reps, but it becomes like, 
I think a key challenge is like, how do you maintain like the same startup? Like I know Kyle, I know Paul, I know Michael the same way that when you have 20 people, which is much harder, what's become even, even harder is you have this working from home thing, which here we do like uh, three days in the office. You can select two days of work from home, but then we got a lot of remote people. And if you think about the products right. we offer, we have merchandising, you know, your 360, your feature tour, your virtual booth, some of the computer vision, background removal stuff, AI for variable for sales and all these little things that, you know, chat now. It's a lot of content to be able to like train somebody on remote. So we're going through that like learning stage of like, how do we properly onboard these people that are not in the office? Because a lot of the learning from sales, as you all know, is like by osmosis, like you're sitting next to someone, you get feedback, you're listening to the call, you understand how they're framing it and positioning it, you're getting direct feedback, like the kid touching the stove will never touch the stove type of analogy. And that's the best way for him to, instead of you telling him 20 times not to do it, let him do it, and then he'll get immediate feedback. And that's how, that's how you learn how to drive so quickly. You turn the steering wheel left, the car goes left, and then you know not to do it. Uh, <laughs> you miss that when you're remote. Like, it, that doesn't exist. So, like, that's uh, wild. The, the curves, yeah. the learning curves, and, like, the onboarding is much faster. So, what for us, what used to take three months to be able to get a rep to do okay now takes them eight months. How so, many, wow. How many of regular life I, – I, so, here's the preface to the question. You're a sales professional you know, whether we talk to sales professionals or medical professionals or BDC professionals or dental professionals or chiropractic, everybody looks at life through the bias of their profession, I find. So my question to you is, how many of life's challenges do you think could be easily solved if there was just some salesmanship involved? Like you brought up a wedding before. Do you go to people's weddings and be like, you could have totally had more people at this wedding if you just... Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I actually, it's funny. I just had this discussion because one of our new sales uh, reps is getting married next week and she just started three weeks ago. And I'm joking. I'm like, you didn't even invite us. You should just create a table for eight people. And then I had this discussion. I'm like, you sh your invitation should be based on how much you think that person's going to give you. Because if you break even, <laughs> he's like, he's let's got to build a, a probability matrix. <laughs> We're going to wait each of these invitations. Ah. He's like, this person makes half a million. This person makes 50 grand. They're out. The people who make a lot of money are actually the cheapest and giving like gifts or weddings. That's what I tend to find. My light went out. But um, I just had that discussion. So yeah, exactly on that. I'm like, because <laughs> so well, you know, you know I bring like, up the medical professionals because they would be like, you know why more people aren't at this wedding? Because they have fatty liver. You know, it's like yeah. there's always like a, an answer through the bias. So like what what's another thing that you like? Because I know I do this all the time. I'm like, oh, I could totally turn this struggling business around. Their marketing sucks. Oh, dude, restaurants. So like restaurants, flights, you know, like how people board. There's one oh. thing. that drives How me is that people. not fixed yet? Yeah. Like how people merge. And yes. on the highway, you know, they, uh, they think they're polite by merging early when they're, when, when there's not like designed a, for that. Right. It's literally the, the, in Europe, if you've traveled to Europe and there's like the merge, by the way, is not like this long half mile, it like ends and you, and they go all the way to the end. They merge, right. The zipper tactic. And here they're, they're, they don't do it. They, they actually get mad at you. I'm sure you guys have experienced this where yeah. you're, you're going all the way to the end of the merge and then they pull in front of you. 
right? Like 43 miles an hour and it should be 70. Go past me and they pull in front of you when actually it's the most inefficient way to merge is like doing it early, but they're thinking it's polite, but it's actually impolite because you're actually causing like much thicker delays. We need a sales and marketing campaign around indoctrinating people about their stupidity. I mean, if you guys, you guys all travel a lot, like that is the most. That, you know like, what I thought was yeah. really interesting? So I grew growing up in Canada, the propaganda around speeding, obviously like I, we get it. It's unsafe. This, that, and the next thing, the propaganda around speeding, <laughs> they're like, okay, the, the speed limit is, you know, 60 miles an hour. And the, the number of people that go, oh my gosh, I'm doing 75. We're totally going to die in a car wreck. And they, you know, quickly and then, and then I go to Europe, to your point, I go to, to Germany. And I'm at an event there and I'm in a little, I don't even know what this thing is, a Fiat 500 with my wife. And we're on the Autobahn going 227 kilometers an hour. And an elderly couple passes us doing what seems like yeah. 300 kilometers, an hour, having a <laughs> leisure conversation, like no, no problem. And I found it fascinating through the lens of if you just remove that thing, that speed limit, that it all of a sudden feels incredibly safe. Yeah. yeah they don't even need hospitals at the auto, on the Autobahn. <laughs> See, just right to, right to the mortuary. <laughs> people know how to merge too. <laughs> to your point, touching the stove. Too. Maybe we just need to remove yeah. speed limits and people will be forced to merge properly. Yeah. How to merge properly. Gosh, I bet if we just sat here for longer, which we don't have the time today, but we could probably identify three to five places in automotive where the merge, quote unquote, is inefficient. Right, we're trying to absolutely. We're gonna unpack that, but uh, we're out of time for today. Art, thank you so much for spending some time and just kind of like pondering some of these things and sharing your insights about yeah, you know, what you're doing and what the industry is wrestling over. Of course, anytime. Thank you for having me. Do you still have that coffee table? I absolutely still have the coffee table. And it, you know, earlier you said that you guess this is the one we bought. Is is was that because you were still being climatized to your wife's taste in furniture, or what? No, is, has it it's grown like, on you? I, I no, I mean, I just you know, I just showed up and my wife bought something off Craigslist, and I was like, hey, whatever it is, that's what we bought. <laughs> and so, like, I knew it was a coffee table, and it was sitting there, like, kind of near the door. So it was like, you know, like the first time you you see that new puppy, go. right? Like, it looks up at you, and you're like, I guess you're part of the family now. Are you, you one know, of those kinds of people that place human emotion on inanimate? No, objects? Okay. I definitely do. I definitely do not. I, I, mean, I am still surprised because of the way that art is just so attuned to sales. Like I love his mentality of the wedding and he's like, oh yeah, I was totally talking to someone about that the other day. I'm surprised he <laughs> wasn't like, question you asked. here's a coffee table. Oh, and also let me sell you these three other things yeah. while you're here, you yeah. know? Uh, like he is just tuned in. And I think, you know, you're thinking about like if, if, if he's thinking about that of a wedding of one of his people, uh, he's probably just thinking about the way I, like I, the reason I asked him that question about sales is I do think we, we don't cross pollinate like how to sell things from industry partner and dealer and vice versa. Like it's almost um, like two totally different roadmaps. That is, that is a sales great strategy. insight. It totally is. Yeah. And I think we have a lot to learn 
both ways, right? Because yeah. there are things that dealers execute really well on, and there are things that industry partners and SaaS companies execute really well on in the sales engagement. And I think we need to respect each other in those and also learn from each other, right? Like yeah. follow-up patterns or the way that we acquire leads or anything like that. Like, I, I mean, I remember so many companies, it's like, oh no, you should, you should do your website like this, right? And then it's like, you go to their website, it's like, and you don't, why? <laughs> you know what it is? Always, always. Yeah, it, it yeah. underscores for me too the, the simple point that both of your first impressions of art is that he, he naturally abides by, like it's become natural motor, motor skill for him. The first rule of sales, which is sell yourself. You know what I yeah. mean? Like he, he's a galvanizer, which is like a, a, he pulls people in, right? He immediately sells you a coffee table on Craigslist. And he's like, just this natural instinct to be like, nope, I need to deepen the relationship with this person that's transacting with me or else it's not a legitimate transaction. And that's something that we tend to forget about. We're like, oh, what about the word tracks? What about the negotiation tips? What if I had a script in front of my BDC? It's like, no, the first rule of selling anything is to sell yourself. And it's so clear that yeah. that's exactly what art does. Absolutely. I don't think we can uh, end that any better way. Thank you for spending a few minutes with us today. On behalf of Kyle Mounsir, Michael Cirillo, and myself, thank you for listening to Auto Collapse. Beep, bop, beep, zip, beep, beep. Bop. <laughs> that actually ending was pretty good. <laughs>